While I'm getting set up, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 4. And I'll once again just remind us of uh, the things that we've been studying this week. It has a lot to do, uh, I hate to just say it has to do with our relationship with Jesus. That's any time a sermon is spoken. It has to do with the knowledge of Christ. But I've really wanted us to focus on how would he say this thing to me? And how would he look at me? And how would he feel about me while I am sharing with him um, my most intimate thoughts, the things that are in the deepest parts of my heart, how much does he care about me? And I, you can't really do that in a few days. Um, what I've tried to point out is that's something that we will be doing for the rest of our lives, is, is learning more how he would respond to me and then trying to mimic that and share that same response with others. That way they can see Jesus in us so that they can... Uh, make a more informed decision on if Jesus is who they really want to follow. And we've kind of made it through that this week. Um, Tonight's lesson is more about what we're going to do with with that. And I was able to do that because I removed one of our earlier lessons. I felt like it, it wasn't needed for this week. We talked about Adam and Eve hiding themselves among the trees of the garden and uh, what maybe they were thinking when they were afraid and and how that compares to some of the fears that we have in the presence of God. And how we feel like, you know, maybe there are times where if I shared something with Jesus, he would just look at me in disgust and walk away. But I've walked with him long enough to know that he wouldn't do that. And I want other people to know that he's like that. I want other people to know actually that he is the most forgiving and he's the most compassionate. He actually cares more about me even than and no insult to my wife. He cares more about me than my wife does. And he cares more about my wife than I care about her. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't try our best, but we're trying to learn how to, how to love people that much. And we do that by understanding more about the way Jesus acts. We talked deeply about his forgiveness Sunday evening. And we talked about if he really is like that, if he is that loving and that caring and and more righteous and holy and pure than anyone else, then I want to figure out how to approach him. And we talked about that, especially when we spoke about Isaiah and the woman who um, had had the bleeding issue for 12 years. And we talked about Jesus' response. And then last night, we talked about one of my favorite topics, which is probably most Christians' favorite topic, is heaven. This reward, and it's not, I'm going to get there and there's going to be this amazing mansion it's it's i'm going to get there and and jesus is just going to be there right beside me i don't know what kind of interactions we'll have but we'll be there and it will always be good and evil will not be there and so since i know all that and and now hopefully i've made the decision i do want to go to heaven i do want to follow jesus and i want to learn more about him so i can be more like him i now i want to go share that with other people and so that's what it is tonight now There's no doubt in my mind that TJ, throughout the years that he's worked here, has done lessons on evangelism. So I may just say a bunch of things that he has said to you guys over the years and that you've said to yourselves and to other people. But maybe some things that I say tonight will kind of re-energize you to start again this week talking to people about the gospel. 
TJ mentioned, I asked him uh, earlier, uh, I had almost forgotten this, and I just said, about how many members do you normally have? And he's somewhere around 30. And I said, about how many of those are adults, teenage, and older? And he gave me 20, maybe at least 20. Normally, I save this for the end when I'm talking about this, but I want you to go ahead and be thinking about this. Let's say we were at the very beginning of the year. It's January 1st, and I just ask you, okay, I'm going to challenge you once a week. I want you to speak to somebody new that you've never spoken to about Jesus. Now, I don't know how far that conversation will go, and oftentimes that has to do with how long they'll let you talk to them. But I want you to initiate that conversation. Not, not I'm, gonna, I'm going to hope that somebody talks to me about Jesus so I can share my beliefs. I'm going to actively seek somebody to start a conversation with about Jesus if they'll let me. And you agree, I'm going to talk to one person a week for the rest of the year. So that's 52 people, right, for each person. And you, you do the math on that with 20 people, and I believe that was around 1,040. I hope I didn't do that math wrong, because that's what I wrote down here. And you imagine, now, I, I don't think 1,040 people that this congregation talked to are all going to decide to become Christians, and all of a sudden you're going to have to build a new larger building because you can't fit that many people in here. But that's not the point. It has more to do with your relationship with Jesus and a desire to speak to that many people about Christ. And don't worry, this whole thing is not about a quota of people you have to talk to. I just want you to consider that number. What if in one year, our membership as a whole spoke to over a thousand people? Even, even if not one of them chooses to follow Jesus, that's, that would be wonderful and that's the goal, but we, we don't have control over that. And then, of course, you could move the number up. You might say, oh, well, one, I think I can do more than one. And you move it to three. And then if everybody did that, you get over 3,000. And you do it up to five and you get over 5,000. I'm just, I'm just giving those numbers just to consider the next question that I want you to think about. The past year, 2022, how many people did you approach? And that's not so that you can, if your number's real low, that's not so you're just like, oh, no, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> and I don't care about Jesus. That's not the point. But I do want you to think about it, and I want you to think about how it makes you feel. How many people have I talked to about Jesus? How many people have I tried to? And you guys, you might not even get past, do you believe in Jesus? They may say no and say, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. But that was still one of your attempts to try to talk to them. So just be thinking about that for the rest, rest of the evening. It, could, it is possible to do that. There's a story. We're not, I don't want you to turn there. For sake of time, I don't think that I can go through and, and read all these verses. But if anybody here is familiar with a man named Balaam, I don't think that you think of Balaam and you think of evangelism. Okay. <laughs> but in Balaam's story, when I read it, there's many problems that he has, but one of the problems that Balaam has is that he wants the best of both worlds. That's my opinion. And why do I say that? Because King Balak is wanting Balaam to prophesy a curse on God's people. Balaam wants a good relationship with Balak. But he also knows that he can't curse God's people if God won't let him. 
He can only save what God wants him to. And there are some moments throughout the story, there's multiple interactions between Balaam and Balak, and Balak is still just, all right, I need you to curse them. I need you to find a way, you know, to, to make life worse for them. And he keeps saying, I can only say what God tells me to, and yet he still sticks around and he tries to find ways that he can still help King Balak. And so that's why I say Balaam wants the best of both worlds. The New Testament will reveal to us that he actually finally told Balak a way to do it. Now, I can't, I can't curse them personally, but here's some stumbling blocks you can throw out in front of them. And so Balaam was a person to me that wanted to at least appear righteous and maybe he even felt like he was still righteous by what he was doing. Well, I'm not, I'll only say what God says, but he's also going to help the other guy too. And that can, that can be a hindrance. That's one of the things that can be a hindrance to the world. And it can be a hindrance to Christians because if I'm going to decide to start conversations with people about Jesus, sometimes there is going to be pushback. Every, not every one of them is going to spit in your face and yell at you, but people are not always going to like you for that. And you may have only said, do you believe in Jesus? And they have already labeled you as judgmental and self-righteous and a hypocrite, and you've said one thing to them. So you can't escape that. But you also have to be able to choose to be different than the world. It is very different to start a conversation with somebody about Jesus, the world avoids those conversations. And not only do they avoid them, but oftentimes their speech actually becomes the enemy of Christ. They start talking evil about God. And so we have to keep this in mind. And I think, well, I can come up with a lot of excuses. And I mean me personally. Not, I'm not saying I think you can. I know that I can. I can come up with many excuses not to talk to somebody about Jesus. It's a lot of them. And one of the things that gets in the way and makes those excuses so easy is because sometimes I don't want to mess up this relationship that I have with this person. Ah, things are pretty smooth right now. I'm afraid that if I bring Jesus up, things are going to get worse. They may even treat me differently. So keep in mind that as well for the rest of the evening. I've got to be willing to be different. Not to be crazy. I don't have to purchase a megaphone. And I'm not making fun of somebody that does this. I don't recommend it. But I'm not, I don't have to purchase a megaphone and for me go to Huntsville to Big Spring Park and start yelling out verses of the Bible in order to talk to somebody about Jesus. That actually may have a negative impact. But I got I to gotta do something. I got to figure out some way to do it. I want us to, I'm going to bring up some of these excuses. And if these resonate with you, then, you know, just be thinking about it. Have I ever made this excuse? And what we're going to do after we bring up those excuses is we're going to dig into the book of Acts where I had you turn and we're going to look at the excuses that the apostles could have had and some of the first century disciples. And we're going to compare some of the excuses that, that I have made and some of the excuses that the apostles could have made. All right, have you ever thought this? Now this can be, let me, let me say this too. Each person may have 
a nuanced way that they talk to somebody about Jesus. Um, and, and later on, I'll tell you some of the ways that I like to do that. You might not do them, you may not approach somebody the same way that I do. And my way is not necessarily better than yours. But I am going to find a way. I have to find a way to approach them. And, and have you ever thought, all right, you're either in the middle of a conversation with somebody or you've decided you want to approach a stranger and start a conversation and see if you can get Jesus into that conversation, either one. But then you feel this overwhelming sense that, man, this is going to be really awkward. If you have not felt that, then you are much different than me. I felt that a lot. Okay? Um, I'm 35. I attempted to begin sharing the gospel. I, I told you guys that one time when I was 15, but I didn't get real serious about trying to share the gospel until I was 19, nearly 20. And I had to figure out ways to do it. And guys, I would hear, I, I could, I'm not even joking, I could hear my heart beating. It's like my adrenaline starts pumping. I don't know if I got sweaty or not. I was too distracted to know. But I would get really nervous about starting a conversation with somebody and, and oftentimes I would fail. And I'd walk away and I said, man, I, I was going to say something and I didn't say anything about it. And I had a lot of those failures and I still have a lot of those failures. But what I found were some of these excuses. One was this is going to be really awkward. <laughs> what if they look at me strange? And I mean it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you get that from me, but I'm pretty timid. And I would feel like, man, this is they're going to look at me really weird and think, why did you bring this up? So that's one. And it may be the same for you. Ah, this is going to be awkward. It might be with your server at a restaurant. Um, it, it might be when you go into a convenience store to, to buy a, a Snickers bar or whatever you're getting. It might be at a sporting event with somebody that you're sitting beside and you've determined, I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to talk to them. And you just can't get it out because it feels like it's going to be awkward. Or you feel like they're going to get angry. And maybe you've had an experience with people, maybe even especially family. That, that was one of the first for me was trying to talk to some aunts and some uh, aunts and uncles and some cousins when I was 20. And not all of them were mean. Some of them were mean. <laughs> some of them said some things that, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm a person that likes conflict. And it's kind of rough. And it was discouraging. Another thing that might keep me from approaching somebody is just the thought that they will say no. We certainly do that when we're trying to find somebody to, to marry, right? When we're out just looking for somebody to, I'm, I'm going to see if this could go anywhere. Maybe one day down the road we can date. I'm afraid to even say anything about my feelings for this person because they, they might say no. Or maybe I'm pretty convinced they'll say no. And there's a similar feeling that happens when we're going to try to talk to somebody about the gospel. What if they say no? And I'm, what I'm about to say is not... <laughs> It's not just my experience. I wish it were just my experience. That's just, that's everybody. That's every Christian. The majority of people in some way or another are going to say no. Even if it was initially a, a yes, they're not going to follow up with you. Or if they did, they're not actually going to become a Christian. Or if they do become a Christian, it's not going to last long. And I'm not saying that to be pessimistic. I'm saying that's the way of the world. And Jesus tells us that. And, and the, thing I, the thing I really... I hate about it. It's not one out of a hundred. Could you imagine how great things would be if one out of every 100 people were a Christian? I'd say it's, it's not anywhere close to that. It's a lot of rejection. And so no is a big one. What if they laugh at me when I bring it up or mock me? 
You might even be thinking, what if they hit me? <laughs> because they could. They could. I don't think it happens a lot in the United States right now. I've heard of it. I've heard of it happen to one person. I didn't know the guy, but it was two guys going door to door. And, and one guy just socked the, the guy that came to the door. Um, the, another one that's really big, I found this out with, with Somerville when, when we, we had a Bible class about this one time. And What are your greatest fears in sharing the gospel? I don't want to lose them. I don't want to lose this person. For one of our members, it was, I don't think she'd have a problem with me saying this, it was a niece. And she was afraid that if she started that conversation that that, that niece wouldn't come around anymore. That's a legitimate fear. But if I were to ask you what what does she still need to do? And she, she knew what she needed to do too, and she said it. You know, I, I still gotta find a way to talk to them. Even if they decide they don't want to be around me anymore. You could be you could think that your past is too sinful. That happens to some people. They're baptized, they have their sins washed away, but even though they're washed away, they still feel like I especially my my worldly friends group that I had before I came before I became a Christian, there's no way they're going to listen to me. They know the kind of lifestyle I lived. For me, what I like to try to do is to convince somebody to turn to Acts chapter 9 and look at Paul. I mean, you think Paul may have thought, anybody want to listen to a murderer? <laughs> I, I mean, when I compare myself to Paul in that situation, I, I, think, I've, I think I'm fine. I don't think anybody's going to have too much of a problem. Um... And this last one, this is, not, this is not really an excuse. This is kind of an analogy. It's not precisely on the point because sharing the gospel is not a sport. But I want to use a sports analogy. All right? I, I really like basketball. Um, I wanted to be in the NBA one time. You shouldn't laugh. Okay? I'm 5'8", and I'm okay. I was not going to be an NBA basketball player. Maybe one day. But um, in this analogy, and I thought about this a few years ago, you know, I, I, my dad was actually a coach for our middle school basketball team, and one of his friends was a coach. And, and coincidentally, they were both members of the church, too. And we are we're practicing, and guys, I'm going to tell you what I want to do during practice. I want to scrimmage. Scrimmage is where you, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but if you're not a sports person, that's for, for, a, for a team, you take a portion of the team and another portion of the same team and you play them against each other, you know, like they're playing in a real game. And you, so you scrimmage each other. I, that's what I want to do. And shoot and do, do some cool dribbling drills. I want to do all of that. And for some reason, and I don't understand because I just knew I was a much better coach than my dad was at basketball when I was in middle school. Every now and then, I say every now and then, a lot, Dad and, and Tommy were going to have us go to the one end of the basketball court and run these drills where you run to the first line and back and the second line and back, and you do that all the way down the court. I don't know of many people that want to do that. All right? I, why can't we just play the game? Why can't we do the parts, these parts that I want to do, and, and that's it? And I imagine, I, I started thinking about this. All right, what if... Now, it does, for, for this illustration, for you, it doesn't have to be your dad or my dad. All right? Just be any coach, and it could be any sport that you want, and you get to the point in the practice where you have to do something that you don't like. For me, it's running these sprinting drills. I'm just pouring sweat, and I'm exhausted. Um, and I want you to imagine this. Whatever it is for you in your sport, 
I do not want to do this part. And you think, I'm not very good at that part. So for me, I'm going to walk up to the coach and I'm going to say, he's going to say, all right, I want you to go over here and we're going to do these sprints. And I walk up and I go, coach, you know, sprints are not really my thing. It's kind of a weakness of mine. I don't think I need to be involved in that. Now, if I tell you that the coach looks at me, grabs a fresh water bottle, hands it to me, says, hey, you go sit down on the bench and I want you to drink that water and, and relax over there. We're going to run some sprints. When we get back to doing the part that you want to do, you come back in. And you're going to be one of the starters during the game. Is the coach going to do that? <laughs> no, it's not. It's laughable. The reason, the reason I don't want to make this an exact comparison is because our spiritual life is far more important and spirituality is far more difficult than a child's game. But I think you get the analogy. You don't, when you're on the team, you, you strengthen the weak parts. And for some people, the sharing the gospel part is a weak part. And I'm not standing up here saying for me it's a strong part. For me, when I first started out, it was very weak. And I may still be very weak at it. But I was fearful of almost every interaction with every person that I was going to attempt to share the gospel with. And all I had, I barely had any Bible knowledge. It was just, I know what a person needs to do to be saved. I know the story of Jesus. And pray to the Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to walk over to this person. I'm going to try to start this conversation. I don't even know what to say. Will you help me? And no, he's not going to give me the exact words that I need to say. All right. But when I did that for the first time, it was across the street from my grandmother's house. I saw my neighbor outside. He walks in, and I was like, I'm just going to go for this. I just, I'm going to knock on the door. I don't care. I don't care if it's awkward. I don't care if that's the thing that you know these other couple of denominations do, and they, he thinks this. I'm going to knock on the door, and I think, I think what I said, I mean, we're talking 15 years ago, was, hey, my name's this. I wanted to see if I could talk to you about Jesus today. That was my first big dive into that. I don't know everything he said, but the answer was no. It was the first one, first time. It's very easy in anything, in your career, in sports, in a relationship, to get that first big no and say, I am not going to do that again because I see how that turned out. And the sad thing, it's a reality, but the sad reality about the gospel sharing thing is that it feels like it's almost always a no. And if I told you, I want you to, I'm going to, here, here's a product. You're, you're, a new, you're a new employee. All right, we've got this product. Might be rainbow vacuum cleaners. I don't know. Whatever is the hardest, whatever is the hardest thing to sell door to door. But I tell you, this is how many we sold last year. Almost nine. We can't find hardly anybody that wants to buy this thing. I want you to go out every day and I want you to try to sell it to as many people as you can. I'm just going to speculate here. I think you probably quit your job. And I'm not comparing that to the job of a preacher. I'm comparing it to the job of a Christian. There's no difference in a preacher, elder, deacon, a member, or, or whoever when it comes to sharing the gospel. Everybody has that charge. And once again, spirituality is not like selling something. We're not selling Jesus. But it's 
there's a lot of products that you could sell door to door to more people than you could get to follow the gospel. From my experience and based on what I read in scripture. So with all of that, with all that weight added to the idea of sharing the gospel, I got to figure out how to do it anyway. And I'm not always fueled by just self-motivation and a passion for it. And I think here's some fuel, okay? I want you to go back and turn to Acts chapter 4. I need to take my own advice because I'm not there. In Acts chapter 4. And I want you to be thinking about some of the things. I've got a list here. I want you to be thinking about this will be awkward. Maybe they're going to get angry. They might say no. They may just laugh at me. They could hit me. They could hate me. I might lose this friend for a short time or for the rest of my life. Any of those things. Or it could be, I'm, I'm just not good at this. This is my biggest spiritual weakness is talking to somebody about Jesus. And in Acts chapter 4, we've got, we've got several verses in Acts. I feel like Acts chapter 4 is where we really start to get this initial picture for the apostles. We knew it was difficult for Jesus because he was crucified. But now it's the apostles' turn. Jesus isn't there in the flesh. He's with them in spirit, but not in the flesh. And so in Acts chapter 4, they run into their first little disturbance. It says in verse 1, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. And ask yourself, if somebody put me in jail even for one night because I attempted to talk to somebody about Jesus, how would I feel the next day? How would I feel going through that night? How would I feel if I had a spouse and children at home and this happened for the first time? And what fears would begin to to delve into my mind? In Acts chapter 4, a few verses later, they say this to him in verse 17. It says, But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man In this name. I think some translations will say they severely threatened them. So they stayed in in the prison for the night. They got released. Do you think there's anybody that might start thinking, I don't want to do that again, okay? (laughs) Whatever it takes to not go back into that jail cell, I'm done. Or maybe they weren't done yet, but then they also severely threatened them, which then they start thinking, well, what if they harm me and I'm not there to help my spouse and to take care of my children? Or what if they're going to harm my children or a close friend? These are all thoughts that I believe must have gone through their head when this happened. Now, this is what I love about their response. Verse 18, when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. He doesn't mean that they are forced to talk about it, right? He's saying we are so moved by our faith in Christ, we will continue to talk about this. And I know you've threatened us. And I know jail could be a thing, and I know worse could be a thing. And worse comes. 
just in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen challenges a group of men who have a lot of power. And that's another thing to keep in mind. The apostles oftentimes are not just speaking to only the common folk. They're speaking to the most powerful people in Jerusalem. They're speaking to people that can make their lives miserable and the lives of other people around them. So it's not now just, I fear for my life. It's also similar to Moses. And what do I mean with that? Moses goes and speaks to Pharaoh. I think it's he and Aaron for the first time. And how does Pharaoh respond? He makes the work on the Israelites much more difficult. All right, well, we'll just... They, they got too much time to think. We'll keep them more busy. And then the Israelites, some of the leading men, they approach Moses and Aaron and say, what are you doing? You've made it even harder for us. You know, it's just, just keep your mouth closed. Because if you keep pushing God's word on this man, he's going to ruin our lives. That can happen. People can back out because of that. What if there's a restaurant that I really like? I don't, I'm not sure how comparable this is, but what if there's a restaurant I really like and the manager really likes us and um, we go there often and we have some restaurants like that. But one day I decide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the manager, see if, he'll, see if he's interested in the gospel. And it just so happens that this man hates God's Word. Maybe he's another religion. Maybe he's an atheist. And from that point forward, now he's, he's not going to do something horrible to us. But every time we come in, he's got a scowl on his face. It seems like the service is slower <laughs> for us. I'm just, I'm giving you a hypothetical. And that alone sounds uncomfortable, but the stuff that the apostles are dealing with are so much more difficult. And now Stephen is talking to these people who could ruin his life. And he challenges them very strongly. And in chapter 7, verses 54 through 60, now I want you to get this imagery of these people because it says that as he spoke, it's like Acts chapter 2 in that it pricked their heart, but some people respond differently when their hearts are pricked. Some people repent. Some people feel guilt. Other people cover their ears. Now what do you do? You ever, have you ever... Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sure everyone's children are amazing and perfect. Have you ever seen anybody with children that when they're telling their child something, their child covers their ears like this? Or have you ever seen kids on a playground or something and they're talking and one of them saying something the other one tries to cover their ears because they don't want to hear what they're saying? That's what they do. These are grown men, like children, covering their ears up, gnashing their teeth. I don't know what filthy things they must have been saying. And they rush at Stephen and they stone him. I don't know how long a stoning takes. This is a brutal killing. You might even think that when they were rushing at him, that Stephen would have said, Oh, wait, hey, hey, you know what, guys? We can, we can stop this. I tell you what, I, I spoke rashly. And, and Stephen, I mean, I, you know, we, we kind of say this sometimes um, in, in, in sports when somebody does really well or they, they really buck up. It's like, man, what a champ. Yeah, Stephen, Stephen is. He, he takes the stones. He's, he's being murdered by a group of vicious people. And he doesn't back down. In Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 
I think I'm in the right spot. Okay, I was nervous. I was in Acts chapter 13. It's embarrassing. All right, Acts chapter 14, verse 19. <clears throat> Am I still in the wrong spot? I'm sorry, guys. I, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm just... Okay, I got it. Verse 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And I wouldn't doubt it for a minute he was wishing he was dead with the amount of pain he was going through. It says, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. Now, I, it doesn't tell us the details of that. I'm, I'm supposing maybe the Lord miraculously healed him because I don't, I don't know how you... If they thought you were dead from being stoned, I don't, I don't know um, how he did that. And he got up and he went on his way sharing the gospel with people. I mean, after knowing that one of his Christian brothers had been killed by stoning, he had no idea how many more stonings he was going to have to endure. That's scary. I've never been faced with any of the kinds of things that we're talking about. The kinds of things that I've been faced with are some of the things that I mentioned to you earlier. It's awkward. And I'm, I'm not saying that those things, that if you came up to me and said, oh, I, I, did, I didn't start that conversation, I was nervous. I'm not going to laugh at you and say, oh man, you're so timid and afraid. I, I, I do the same thing a lot. It's a battle. But just imagine how difficult it is when you could lose people that you love. You could lose your career. You have no idea if they're going to take everything from you and leave you on the side of the street, either dead or wishing you were dead. And Paul gives us a very vivid picture of what first century gospel sharing looked like in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is, this is a portion of the Bible that when I read it and realize I also have to share the gospel, it makes me real sick to my stomach. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with God's Word. It's just this is tough. This is tough to read because the stuff that I read in, in Acts that happened to Paul, that sounded bad. I was, I'm done. That sounds like enough. I don't need any more suffering. And Paul gives us a, a, a very detailed recounting of some of the things that he's gone through. In verse 23, he says, In labors in far more, far more imprisonments. While one sounds bad to me, I don't know how much time he spent in prison. It's a long time. Beaten times without number. I'm just wondering how many times I, was, I would have convinced myself, I'm not sure I want to talk to anybody else about Jesus when it gets to the point that on my, my hands and my toes, I can't count how many times people have beaten me. Often in danger. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. You do the math. It's enough. It's enough lashes. And he speaks of that as if it's something different than the beatings that he had. And I'm, I mean, I'm overwhelmed. And I'm done. I don't want to read anymore. And he says, three times I was beaten with rods. This is a third time that he's mentioned some kind of beating his body. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren, in labor and hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And it sounds like at this point Paul's trying to convince you stop talking about Jesus. 
but you don't want to do this. And then he also mentions, and this is another, this is another suffering that he inherited from Jesus. What does that mean? When he says, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. That's, that's the pressure that was on Jesus beyond what Paul experienced, is concern for every soul and all of his people and the suffering that they're going through. That's, that, that's actually too much for us to endure. Have you, ever, have you ever had a loved one that's really sick, a child that's really sick, and it's, you feel like it's making you sicker than they are sick? And that's one person you're dealing with. Jesus endures all of that. And Paul's saying, I had some of that. He blessed me with that suffering so I could understand him more. You go read this. You go read this. And I, I take that list and I, I put that up in front of me. And then I go back and I look at my excuses that I sometimes justify myself by. And I say, all right, I didn't talk to this person. I didn't need to. It wasn't the right time. Maybe the, maybe the right time will come up. If you do that enough, the time will never be right. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to share the gospel, you walk in Walmart or whatever store you go in, and there's a hundred people in there, and you've got to talk to every single one of them today. All right? At some point, they may run you out of Walmart. I'm not saying that's bad. If you want to do that, you do it. That's, that's, not, that's not the approach that I think you need to do. But on the other hand, I do need to start looking at how many opportunities am I passing by. Because it's how often does a human being in the world walk up to a random Christian and say, hey, would you talk to me about Jesus? I think it's a percent of a percent. I, don't, I believe it happens sometimes, but you can't count on that. And that's not what the apostles are doing. The, when they severely threaten them, they go to the next place and they find somebody else to talk to. No matter what fears are going through their head, they still have to do it. And that's, I know that that's tough. And I, by the way, I don't think I'm this 35-year-old telling some of your older men and women how to do this, okay? I'm, I'm not saying like I'm good at it. I'm saying that I struggled with it for so long and I still do with so much fear. And I have to, I have to overcome it if I'm going to, to share the gospel. And if we're going to talk about what we spoke about last night, if I'm going to talk to them about heaven, then i got to start that conversation. And if I'm going to help them get out of sin, I've got to start that conversation because there's not a lot of people at the park and at the store and at the basketball game that are coming up to me saying, can you help me get out of sin? We just don't do that. So if you are also willing, like, like I was saying, if you were willing to put up both of those lists, the apostles' potential excuses, which by the way, they didn't use at least in the stories that we read, and you put your potential excuses, whatever they are, is it fair? It's not fair. The apostles had a very difficult time and they lost people that they loved. Some of them lost their spouses. Some of them lost their children. Some of them lost their own lives and were brutally murdered for talking to somebody about Jesus. I don't always try to overwhelm my mind. That's not, if I'm going to talk to my waiter at a restaurant, I'm not thinking like, you know, some of these people were thrown in a coliseum with, with wild beasts. Usually I'm just trying to remind myself that, you know what, I probably am going to hear my heart beating. Probably going to get a lump in my throat. Probably going to be a little bit nervous. And I'm just going to say, hey, could I ask you a question for a second? Whatever it is. And I'm just going to, I got to push through that and I got to say, 
if it's just the first line, whatever I'm going to say to him to get it started. Because <laughs> Paul got stoned and got up and said, all right, well, on to the next place. And so I, I've got to have that same attitude. I've got to have the same attitude back to what we talked about at the beginning of this week. If I want to be like Jesus, Jesus is willing to risk it all to talk to somebody about His Father's kingdom. In Matthew chapter 18... I think this is one of those where I I lost my... Okay, no, that's it. I got it again. I'll try not to do that again. And it's just one verse in Matthew 18, verse 11. Jesus tells you, here's, here's what I came to do. It's what my whole life was about. I, the Son of Man, has come to save that which was lost. If that's the definition of Jesus' life, that has to be the definition of my life I'm going to follow. Him. It can't just be... I'll repent and confess. I'll have my sins washed away through baptism. I'll abstain from evil. And everybody else can just look at my example. That is part of it. But in Acts chapter 4 verse 20, they said we cannot stop speaking. We cannot stop speaking about Jesus. In John chapter 10 verse 10, Jesus says I came to give... Uh, I, I came to give them life and that they might have it more abundantly. He's not talking about they're going to have a lot of riches here on the earth. He's saying I'm trying to offer them eternal life. And so if I want to offer them eternal life, I've got to start that conversation. In John 3.16, a verse that many people in the world know. But He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the reason He sent Jesus is so they could go to heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about all these different ways that he, he tried to, I mean, say, not to fit in with the world, not, not as a worldly person, but to get in with people and live like they live so he could relate to them so that he could have an open door to mention Jesus in hopes that they would be seeking Jesus too. And he says, all this stuff that he goes through, he said, I did it so that I might save some. That wouldn't work very well with that door-to-door salesman again, right? You're going to come, you'll probably sell two or three vacuum cleaners a year, but you're going to have to talk to 10,000 people. Well, I'll go get another job. That's when I read the story of Jesus and I remember for me personally my baptism into Christ at 15 years old. I remember when I rose up. I remember the feeling of knowing through faith my sins had been washed away. And my next thought was, i got to go talk to my best friend. And I had a best friend at that time. And I tried to talk to him and he didn't listen. And it was very easy over the next year for me to fall away from Jesus. And I stayed away from Jesus for three years. Wasting time. I'm not beating myself up about it. I was wasting time. I was part of the world. And thankfully the Lord gave me time to come back to my senses. And when I did... And I start studying, I realize again, i got to get right back to where I started. I tried to talk to my friend and some of my classmates, they didn't listen. i got to talk to some of my roommates here at college, guess what, they didn't listen. And the friends that we hung out with across the hallway, they didn't listen either. 
Not at the time. I'm not saying they won't ever become Christians. They didn't listen to me. And many of my family members didn't listen to me. And Jesus still charges me, you've got to keep talking to people. And so, I hope that this evening, I hope that what we build up to this week, and I, I apologize if I kept you really long. I didn't keep my clock going this time. But I really wanted to talk about this. Is I have to find a way to start that conversation with somebody, no matter how awkward, no matter how fearful, no matter what is going on, i got to find a way. And the apostles, and, and more than anything, Jesus gives me the ultimate example. Jesus will do it to the point that He dies a brutal death in front of everyone so that He can still offer them a kingdom in heaven eternally. And tonight, He offers you that same kingdom through simple repentance, confession, and baptism in Christ to have your sins washed away. How many people are you going to try to speak to this year? And let's do our best to do that. I hope that's an encouragement. If you have any need tonight, we ask you to come forward as we stand and sing.